0: Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some Netflix news, America Ferrara leaving Superstore, and The Outsider. This is the millions and millions of little
1: screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show.
0: skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Guys, last week, Netflix subscribers who logged on to the streaming service were greeted by some new UI. A top 10 row to its homepage, showcasing the most popular titles in the US. It also, if you go to TV tab or movie tab, it shows you the top 10 shows or the top 10 movies. We were kind of going through this yesterday, Ben, and making sure, and everything lined up. There were no no weird anomalies. We got the same top 10.
2: No algorithm.
0: Yeah. Right. Except for the... The cover art, the key art was changed between Ben and I, yeah, like all the accounts should have the same information because
1: this is reflecting America's top ten lists. Uh, so we were we were you know checking that netflix wasn't wasn't fibbing or lying well, or catering to anything
2: have them it's uh, it's uh, hard to be trustworthy in this world. It's hard to have trust yeah. in large institutions, so.
0: All this, I'll just say the the point being that like they, it's not all Netflix's own content. That it does have some of the stuff that they've licensed is in the top ten. So they're not fudging the numbers to push seemingly ten Netflix shows on onto everyone's homepage.
1: No, it doesn't seem like um, it doesn't seem like that's they could have and that's I'd, I'd say they, the way to look at it is that that was another option for them to present information they could have done a top 10 list that only highlighted Netflix original content if that was all that they wanted to spotlight but clearly you know they've paid for these licensing agreements um, they have some of these for a decent amount of time so they want to highlight them if they're popular for the same reason they want to highlight anything else uh, which is just to to show that the service is being, used to show it has a wide array of content to show um you know what's people are watching right now and what you might want to watch because you want to have the same conversation or talk about that show or whatever it is. Um but yeah they could have done a lot of things with these top ten lists. And the interesting thing about the release to me was just that they they'd sampled them for six months, I believe in the UK and Mexico before releasing them uh to America. Um but what's interesting to me is just to see the kind of <laughs> the little fluctuation in terms of where things you know, move up or down on a day-to-day basis because you get the the list is refreshed every day and you can look at it as specifically as you talked about. Like if you wanna look at the overall list and just judge on that, that's fine. But if you just wanna look at TV shows, you can do that. If you just want to look at movies, you can do that. And to kind of see the the turnover or so far the lack thereof has been interesting. Um and for me who's curious about like how well are the Netflix originals playing For the Netflix audience, um, especially against each other, it's been interesting to look at how something like Altered Carbon, which is the second season of a big budget sci-fi blockbuster, uh, compared to something like Love is Blind, which is a phenomenon of a reality show that we talked about a few weeks ago that still is ranking consistently at the number one slot in TV shows, at least, if not overall as well. Um, Not to mention uh, against the... What is it? I am not okay with this?
0: Uh, Yes, I am not okay with this. Which
1: was also released uh, just a day before Altered Carbon um, as another Netflix original series from the producers of Stranger Things, from a lot of the creators of uh, End of the Fucking World, or End of the Effing World, however we want to say that title, um, to see how those shows kind of compete with each other, to see which is more valuable to Netflix and why, um, and to try to gauge whether or not something is successful using a metric that we haven't had before. Uh, Whereas like a lot of my reaction to altered carbon season two would have been, well, what are the reviews and are people talking about it? And um, do I see it in maybe like being highlighted through the Netflix algorithm on the rest of the homepage? Now we actually have some concrete evidence that we can kind of maybe possibly trust and, a small fraction of, of the way that we could trust anything that's only being watched for two minutes.
2: It's the popular vote of streaming services. It is the popular vote of streaming services.
0: I will say the top ten has not but changed that's important over the course of this past several, or the past two days at the very least. The same top ten, The Office moved up, Altered Carbon moved up, but the top five has remained the same five. It's Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, Love is Blind, Altered Carbon, I'm Not Okay With This in Lock and Key. Yeah, and in all netflix originals or i
1: think lock and key especially like we we've kind of known that love is blind has been successful just because of how much conversation has been has been surrounding it like i mean leo it's all your fault we've discussed that (laughs) before yeah. I hope yeah, we'll, we'll um, I'm responsible for the love is it. blind bump that but, it'll be, but it'll be curious to see how long love is blind kind of holds in this top 10 and the fact that lock and key is still on the top 10 is going to be pretty encouraging for that show which was a, a pretty big ticket early February launch for the platform um, and then the stuff that's just kind of permanent like we've all everybody who's tried to provide numbers on Netflix in the past has argued that the office is one of their most watched and most important shows it's leaving eventually uh but it does seem to have a rather permanent place in this top 10 list which does support the idea that that's going to be a problem when it goes away and they're kind of stripped of all their licensing agreements uh but what can replace it and if there's a long-term solution or if they have to just keep putting out (laughs) new show after new show uh at a rapid
0: pace will be uh will be fun to track Guys, moving on to more Netflix news. Not content with their stranglehold in the streaming space, they decided to expand their influence in the form of a comedy festival. Netflix is a joke fest. I mean... (laughs) I mean, it's happening. The festival will take place from Monday, April 27th through Sunday, May 3rd. 100 live events. Comedians such as David Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Ali Wong, Amy Schumer, Bill Burr, Kevin Hart, Hannah Gadsby, Wanda Sykes, Mike Birbiglia... Norm Macdonald and Pete Davidson, essentially anyone who has a Netflix special, except for Eliza Schlesinger, who's in Spencer, who's in the Mark Wahlberg God movie. God forbid. You gotta be- Spencer
2: Confidential. Uh, no, I'm really torn about this festival, if I can be honest with y'all. Tear. And if I can't be honest with either of you, then what's Terror the away. point?
1: What is the point?
2: Netflix has been, has been criticized in the past about uh, the exponential amount of white white male comedians um and and just generally male comedians as opposed to cis, women of color c- cis het
0: white male yes yeah,
2: cis white male thank you um and 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 not so much focusing on more diverse groups of people i mean co- clearly this is not a complete list of the talent that will be appearing but I mean, sending out the headline like this, I'm sure there were contract negotiations and whatever. I just I know Netflix is very proud of their comedy offerings and they are making a concerted effort to always be diversifying. My concern is that this is just more awards talk. It it's uh crossing over into the FYC space, getting it all set up.
0: There is an LGBTQ there is. show at the Greek with uh Friend, real real life friend, Joel Kimbooster is 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 on the lineup.
2: Hannah Gadsby, yeah. Wanda Sykes. Wait, I'm not sure about Hannah, but Wanda Sykes. Uh, yeah, Hannah Gadsby. Um, maybe
0: Margaret, Margaret Cho. Cho.
2: Yeah. So that's great. Like like even there, there's several women of color, um, legendary comedians involved. I think it's exciting, but I think that it's just another way. I, to extend awards season it's another way to sort of make phase one or or the lead up to phase one just an, a never-ending onslaught and so I look at this and it makes me very tired Ben
1: no I, I completely agree I, I it feels absolutely just like a an extension of their awards of their FYC space um, and it just is another example of Netflix showing how much money they can spend to elevate their shows over other shows. And, um, I believe in the release, it said that al- at least some of these performances were going to be made available to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. So some of them are going to be recorded and then available on Netflix.
1: So they're, so they're creating new content that will, that will elevate old content, uh, or upcoming content. Um, you know, in the, in the ever building synergy of cross linkage that will support all of these things for awards. And, um, they've, they had success last year when, when they, uh, brought Adam Sandler and Paul Thomas Anderson to the FYC space for a special conversation and, and, uh, and performance, um, mm-hmm. And I feel like this is just them recognizing that there are more Emmy nominations available. We can go after them. We can make more content in the process and we can make money by, you know, hosting the events and making the celebrities happy and or the talent happy, I should say. Uh, So like it it does seem like a good strategic plan from Netflix. But yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah, it's it's just so much because there will be. You'll be choosing between, well, do I want to go see David Letterman's stand-up set or do I need to go to the official FYC event right. across town for, you know, better things?
2: It's something, that we, it, it's something that we saw increasingly at TCA is there used to be kind of a silent – there used to be a, a sort of respect not putting your big guns against someone else's big guns lest you split your audience, but all bets are off. They're having junkets during TCA's uh, on other people's days. They're they're flying people out of town, like out of the country to go on set visits in the middle of other people's TCA days. And now Netflix is launching a, a week-long...
0: A full-blown comedy festival. Comedy
2: festival. <laughs> a week-long comedy festival in, you know, the middle of the Emmys run-up.
0: And the only
1: regulation here is that they can't be... They're not official FYC events because you're not allowed to have overlapping official FYC right. events. Like the the academy won't allow that to happen. They won't give you, you know, access to the same lists and the same setup and the same everything uh, that they do for their formal functions. Uh, but and again, that's that's what led people to kind of have the the respect of the past where they'd avoid overlap. But as we saw last year, when when Veep's final F.Y.C. panel uh, was happening across the street from the Bruce Springsteen Martin Scorsese conversation at Netflix, that is that era is over. Like there's there's one too much television for the networks to uh, continue just operating under that, you know that premise of like well we we respect what's going on over here so we're just going to wait our turn it's like no no no. there's no more waiting there is competition and civility is dead right if you can win the competition on the night then you can win the competition at the Emmys so it, it's uh, it's going to get lethal
0: all right well moving on to the next thing uh America Ferrara leaving Superstore guys according to THR Superstore's America Ferrara is checking out it's a joke
2: oh that's really good mm. I really respect that
0: went right over my head yeah of Cloud9, after five seasons on the job, she served as executive producer, she directed a couple episodes, and she said in a statement that she's ready to seek out the next chapter in her career and life. Wait, wait, wait. Checking out, like, at a checkout counter? Okay. Yeah, checking out, like... <laughs> I still don't get the joke. <laughs> um, what does this mean for Superstore? E-
2: <laughs> ben, you want to field this one?
0: <laughs> I don't.
1: I, I I don't love it um it's not that it's not that Superstore is a show that can't function without its lead actress um it's it's very much an ensemble comedy they've leaned into the ensemble more and more as the seasons have gone on uh but so many elements of the existing plot are tied to America Ferrera's character in a way that makes it very hard for me to imagine how she would be extricated in a manner that just kind of keeps things running smoothly like the, it's it's hard for me to imagine the transition that can be made that will both satisfy fans and keep the show
0: going not disturb the mojo of the show in any right. real way
1: and and in part it's because it's like wall superstore has always dealt with a lot of uh topical issues and social issues and political issues um it's not a dark show, it's an n b c sitcom like yeah. it's a it's a very positive show, and a lot of the the momentum of the show at the moment is based around um uh ben Feldman's and Marika Frera's couples like that 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 central couple is moving toward the very traditional like wedding yeah happy happily sure. ever after moment like they, they're they finally living together they made they've been making jokes about marriage like all this stuff is happening so like the the like we're gonna pick her up and put her in another store or um she's going to leave cloud nine and go work her dream job doing something else like none of those tracks have really been laid um and like to if, leave, pam,
0: if pam went moved to new york and became an artist and left jim working at <laughs> I Dun, mean, dunder mifflin but
1: pam was still on the show
0: yeah, and even then, yeah, I know. You.
1: So to me,
2: it's like if if John Krasinski left the office, like it would be fine, but the it would be okay, but the balance would be all off because his character was very much ballast in that wacky crew, and um, that's how I kind of see America Ferrera's role in there. While I think Jonah, they Jonah and Amy both switch off on being the straight man, and without that, it. It slowly devolves into this is wacky, for the sake of being wacky, and that's a line that the show has flirted with before in the past. Um, and I'm very frightened about where this goes.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm just curious to see what the decisions are going to be, and then how well the fans are going to respond. I, I do think that there's a strong fandom who's just very loyal to the central relationship as well as to America for in general, who's been um, an outspoken voice for the show, you know, in front of and behind the camera uh, in such a way that you'd worry about how just her creative departure would affect the the overall show and like, uh, you know, its content as well as uh, the story. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's a lot more troubling than I think they made it out to be. Like it seemed like, you know, Hey, we're warning you. Hey, it's coming. Like, don't worry about it. No big deal. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned.
2: This news is coming in the middle of the show's first season without creator Justin Spitzer. So it feels a little like I don't want to see a sinking ship. It, it, I don't think it's that severe, but it is. There's a sense of foreboding over it. Like something is not quite right there. And I'm not sure what it is. On the other hand. Frere is currently pregnant with her second child as the as she has grown older as she, her career has gone along, she's uh really become active in uh, politics um she has no interest in standing aside and 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 being quiet. She has uh, uh, political political things that she supports like families belong together and um she's always very outspoken in her support of political candidates i think it's just time for her to move on i i don't i think maybe she's i think she really enjoyed executive producing the show i think she may be a person who is getting more interested in working behind the scenes
1: yeah i completely agree i i, I think i think we talked about this before like off off air just that this feels like a a kind of inevitable choice for america ferreira and one that i'm very excited to see her take like she's somebody whose voice has gotten stronger every year she's been involved um in in various creative pursuits so to see what her next project is going to be is going to be pretty fun but uh but for the show it's a different story
0: currently executive producer of netflix's number seven tv show (laughs) hentified well reviewed good ship. So, Ben, before OffPod, you said that having watched more episodes of The Outsider, you would change your grade from a B minus to a B. <laughs> Bumping it up. <laughs> you made that sound so dramatic. Like B minus. B minus to an A
1: plus. A B minus B- to B. It's to a F. bump.
0: It's a bump. It's a bump.
1: The Outsider is, as I think anybody who knows me knows already, uh, is a confounding show for me and one that I need your help on basically um i don't know i know how to talk about it in the sense that i know how to talk about every single aspect of it that bounces around in my mind all at once without
0: making a ton of logical sense because as we mentioned previously in the pod you read the book and abhorred it so the, the book is, is, the, is worst, the, proper, proper. the worst
1: thing that's ever been written in
0: any language um and And yet the show has surprised you at every turn with its ability to turn that source material into something not only watchable, but enjoyable. enjoyable.
1: I would say that what's really surprising to me is just that the story of The Outsider, the core story, (laughs) is bad. It's a bad story. So that they've made it not only watchable, but enjoyable is kind of amazing. And that's part of my fascination with the show a lot of what i'm responding to is that kind of annoying oh i read the book and now i'm going to compare everything that i read in the book to what they do in the show and and why one's better than the other um which i really always hated especially when another hbo drama was on the air for seven eight seasons however many terrible seasons that was and everybody kept talking about the books and what it meant for the books and what they changed from the books and when the books were surpassed by the show how the show got better or worse didn't care about any of that um but with the outsider i think the interesting question is that for plenty of the people i've talked to who are watching it they recognize that the core story is bad or ludicrous or silly or dumb um and all yet, words i've used to describe the show <laughs> and yet they keep watching whether because we're just in a culture where once you start something you finish something or once you start a binge you're going to keep binging um and honestly this is this is my question libby you've you've sampled now an episode and a half leo you're completely up to date um my question is basically I don't know how to recommend it succinctly. I, I still don't know what to do when
0: people ask me the question, "Hey, I'm, should I watch The Outsider?" No. So my my like uh, elevator pitch is, "It's True Detective. If the Yellow King theory was real, if the supernatural elements actually came to the forefront of True Detective, does uh. that does that interest you?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe the weird thing about this pitch is, I would say no. I would have been like, "Oh, I'm running the fuck away
0: from that show." What if? But Libby would have said yes.
2: Yeah. What if True Detective's theory about the Yellow King was true and bad?
0: That's 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 not a that's not a pitch to get someone to watch the show.
2: I know. Yeah,
0: Libby are, said are no. we're
2: working at cross purposes here. <laughs> okay. No, but like, I am I am earnestly interested. What is it? Is there something about the alchemy of the show that that you're all responding to because what is it about True Detective that has had people kind of latch onto it and want to do their own version?
1: I think that the dynamic between between the two leads and the outsider in a very weird way is similar to the dynamic between Rust and Marty. Um, Marty. And, it's, and, it's, it's, and it is illustrated by those car rides um, in a sense that uh, one is kind of a, a big picture dreamer. I'm going to drift off on these kind of strange tangents that alienate me from the rest of the world, but as a television character make me very interesting. And Cynthia rivo is kind of that person. She's got a lot of theorizing. She puts forth a lot of um, kind of wonky ideas. She's uh, definitely, her character is definitely on the spectrum in, in one way or another. And that makes her um, harder to read, like harder to get a, a definitive like she has a relationship in the, in the midst of this show uh and you honestly for for the first like 3 or 4 times they meet I'm like I don't know how she feels about this guy at all and then it like turns into this very endearing sweeter thing but the point being she she represents this thing where um the story could go into a whole other realm like it's not just typical law and order cop banter about what the evidence means and you know which block are they on and whose door do we got to kick down it's like talking about big picture ideas uh and then there's then there's marty uh in this case ben mendelson there to pop the bubble there to be the realist who's just like i don't want to deal with all this mumbo jumbo that you're talking about i'm not going to entertain that and that appeals to both sides of the people who are watching the show in the sense that they want to be taken away on a, on a bit of a ride to something they've never seen before and, and be given a reason to believe in something that is unbelievable and then see that unbelievable story play out because a lot of TV is about, you know, being taken on a journey and and being surprised and being entertained in, in ways that are unpredictable. Uh, but they also don't want to lose their tether to reality because if it gets too far away, then you're just like, all right, this is silly. This is dumb. This doesn't make sense. And the challenge of the outsider and what I've been <laughs> very focused on because I read the book is that I know that, that that tether is is so thin and that the the silliness of it the inherent leap that you have to make is so large like it's such a big jump from like who's the who how do we solve this you know very realistic murder to it was the boogeyman that's that's an insane leap and watching them build that throughout the show has been very entertaining and it's one of the reasons i never thought of true detective because when i watched true detective the first time uh i didn't think for one instant that any of the yellow king stuff would be supernatural or spiritual or out of this realm i was just like this guy's just nuts like whoever they're looking for is just a crazy person who likes building these twig things and is a terrible horrible twisted murderer Um, But in this, they actually want us to believe that the person responsible, the thing responsible, the El Cuco, El Cuco responsible um, is the boogeyman. And making you believe that for 10 hours of
0: television is quite a challenge. I mean, the tether is fraying and the only thing keeping it intact, I think, is the performances at the center.
2: I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like a 10-hour version of the worst X-Files episode. But hey,
1: no, and that you they do you. they also very much have the Mulder Scully dynamic, which is obviously what at least partially inspired the Rust and Marty dynamic, and then evolved into other plenty of other uh, the, Holden cops and, and the Holden
0: and Holden and Bill dynamic. Yeah, on Rustin,
2: Rust and Marty should have kissed.
1: <laughs> no one's disputing that. Um, but yeah, no, I I think there's there's always an inherent in- interest to watching partners kind of find a path forward. It's it's um, it's a strong dynamic that's been relied upon time and time again. And when those partners have opposing viewpoints about the very central thing that they're doing, whether that's Mulder and Scully and you know faith versus versus science, uh, whether it's Marty and Rust, whether it's Tinch and uh, Holden, Holden, Ford. Um, Holden Ford. and or whether it's it's you know Mendelsohn and, and Cynthia Revo watching that kind of battle of 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 uh, practicality and reason of of the real world versus the the faith based let's you know admit that we don't know everything that's a battle that people like seeing represented time and time again and I agree in the sense that the acting is essential to keeping that tether from completely snapping. But
0: again, in, less, in lesser hands, in lesser hands this show would be done for.
1: Well, the most irritating thing to me
2: is that it's not just you two dummies who love this show. It's actually a ratings hit. Is it is it that is it that magic that people that appeals to people or are do you think they're just invested so they're going to see it through?
1: I think there's a lot of things that went into the success of this um from a from kind of a formulaic branding standpoint uh one that this is on hbo lends it a degree of credibility that if it was on another network it wouldn't come in with so people who started it wouldn't be taking it as seriously as perhaps uh they are if they are watching it on the same network as true detective and the leftovers and all the other great uh high class programming i think that The fact that it's a stephen king story brought in a fandom a very specific fandom i think that um i think that it is reminiscent of true detective in some of the ways it's structured as well as the setting definitely and the genre like definitely lured people in who are like that's an hbo true detective kind of show i want to watch that um so i think all of that is is kind of what's helped it become
0: the hit but also I mean, true true crime being this huge thing in the zeitgeist now, even if this is not true true crime, but like the idea that people want to see these kinds of stories.
1: And that's that's to me why I thought there was going to be more of a breaking point at episode six. I thought there were going to be – I thought I'd see a lot more people who are who are watching it either get really, really upset or just be really, really surprised with where – with the turn that it takes, with the very like, okay, now we just got to lay it on the table – this is what the story is about. We can't hide it anymore. Um, and I didn't see it as much as I thought I would, but I still think, like from the people I've talked to, even the ones who are binging it, they've had similar reactions. Where all of a sudden they're just like, "Oh, this is this is dumb. Like this isn't what I thought it was, or it's exactly what I thought it was, and I'm enjoying it." Um, so I think there's I think there's a few factors that have made it a hit. I want to believe that Ben Mendelsohn and Cynthia Revo made it a hit because they're great. I love them. They're wonderful.
0: Well, you bring them up. Is is there an awards play here, oh. Libby? I know you've only seen an episode and a half. I know
2: enough to I know enough about the actors involved. I know enough about Ben Mendelssohn and Cynthia Revo to know that they're great and that even in the silliest situations, they can bring a gravitas that many actors can't. Um I'm trying to figure out if there is an opportunity, I'm, I'm here looking back over the nominees for for drama series. And I mean, in 2010, they nominated. Well, I mean, several times they nominated Dexter. Uh, they nominated. Uh, I mean, Lost used to get nominated all the time. i mean, lost was uh several steps above the
0: outsider. It was a, a juggernaut. Clearly.
2: Yeah. I mean, remember when Damages got nominated every year, like year after year? I don't know. The Academy's done Stranger Things. I'd like to think that they have a full enough slate for drama series, but maybe in the acting categories, um, yeah. I I just know, I, I don't know. I believe you
1: had a strong reaction to one of the guest actors in the show during those first that first episode you were watching. You seemed to really like one scene. Maybe that'd be enough to catapult a certain name into the guest actor ballot. El Cuco. <laughs> I, well, not at the time.
2: <laughs> no. Uh,
0: he did play El Cuco. Yeah, for that's very true. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Probably the most uh, striking imagery of the show is while he's oh, portraying definitely. El Cuco. Definitely.
2: No.
1: We're uh, obviously talking about Jason Bateman. Yeah. Director, and, producer, Jason Bateman. And Director, was, producer, star. Yeah.
2: He was great. Like, he had the whole dead eyes. He, he played so much in, in the time he had on the show and also directed the first two episodes like he he gets so many moments to play so many different emotions um and then he gives one speech he gives one speech um with Ben Mendelsohn and I legitimately teared up and I still thought it was a ridiculous show but <laughs> Bateman it... brought enough um empathy and and heart to
0: You're talking about that late night in the jail cell just the two of them yeah. when he comes in illegally to talk to Yeah.
2: Him. Yeah um talking about baseball
0: talking about baseball Uh,
2: and it was beautiful and i was so shocked by it because i wasn't prepared for anything like this in that series and bateman sold it in a way that i'm not sure a lot of people could he has the benefit of having been a child actor um grown up in hollywood and stayed a good dude and to see him accused of something so heinous um is working against his character so hard that i i i would love to see him nominated for this role
1: he is the ideal casting for every reason you just meant or every reason you just mentioned in the sense that he's he's someone who so typically plays like the good guy the likable dude the average family man simultaneously
0: against type and because he's playing the guy who's wrongfully accused but also the person who clearly did it so it's against type and type right yeah
2: yeah right no it's against time. so it's a challenge it's but also type.
0: works for him okay. well guys should, should, let's let's wrap this up the outsider ends this Sunday yeah so the, the finale is this Sunday we got the 60 minutes sit down with El Cuco I'm hoping <laughs> we're all hoping um spoiler alert there's the character called El Cuco hopefully you've been watching it's also referred to as the boogeyman and it's the grief eater the tear the tear drinker the tear drinker I mean, El Cuco I mean, Ben, what's the future of the series? You spoke to. I mean, he's writing season two, Price.
1: so he's writing. <laughs> Nobody knows what it would be about, who would be in it, if it's an anthology type continuation or if it's a if it, they're going to keep the
0: characters. I mean, having um, not read the, having not read the book, I can only hope that El Cuco goes on to move to other cities. Have, having <laughs> I can, read the book, it continues. I can tell you that continues framing people for murder. That that would be. Hard to I want El Cuco to win. Pull off.
1: <laughs> I I I think that the the way forward would be to keep Cynthia Rivo as kind of the focal point and maybe bring in some new people around her as sad as I would be to see Mendelssohn go away. But again, this is why I'm so interested to see how the show ends. Richard Price was adamant throughout our conversation that he has no loyalty to the book, that he is willing to do whatever is best for the show. Um, and that's his first priority. He can't treat the audience like they've read the book or like they're familiar with the characters um, or that they know even the genre that they're watching. He was pretty adamant that he didn't think about genre either, even though he now sees how they're, how it is clearly part of two. Um, so yeah, I, I think that because the ratings are good, because it's not, at least so far, a super expensive show to make, uh, that if he's got a reasonable path forward and the audience sticks with it to the end yeah they'll probably make another one
0: uh, so in your version of season two it's an anthology series sort of based around Holly Gibney's in the same way that Knives Out 2 is going to be a Benoit Blanc like another caper he solved. That'd be my guess yeah. Libby agrees Libby's in. That's not what I said Libby
1: saw. did we sell you on The Outsider?
0: No, yeah are you going to finish? No
2: you're bad salesman
0: uh, wakeboarding without and out. Uh, ben, did you watch that SNL sketch I sent you?
1: Yes. <laughs> what would you think? Glad to see Justin. Terrible sketch. <laughs> Justin is as fit and trim as ever.
0: For those unaware, Justin Throw made a, a cameo in a digital short that featured Kyle Mooney going from uh, a dorkable cast member to the big muscle man. It was honestly a
1: strange pick because
0: Throw isn't a big muscle man. He's I a know. very slender trim
1: Ath- like athletic type, like aerobic person. I don't know,
0: whatever. But my assumption is that John Mulaney likes him, yeah, in some way.
2: Yeah, and he's in New
1: York. And he's Can in New York. They want to go to. He's the... got his bar. Yeah, they all want to go to raise. They wanted to go to raise with uh our Succession friend uh Nicholas Braun. Yep, yep, Nicholas Braun and Justin Theroux, and they had a couple of high lifes. And I bet you they. I bet you the they sketch.
0: hosted the after after party for that SNL that Saturday. Justin Theroux opened it up at. at 3 30 or 4 and it's like hey come on i don't know what time new york bars close guys a lot of quibi news this week yeah you wouldn't believe it jennifer lopez (laughs) is gonna have a new quibi show called thanks a million and what else there was something else i forget but all this to say libby no no
2: nothing i mean i was out last week so that might be why these voicemails that i haven't checked yet
0: you think meg or, or jeffrey gives you a direct call this to set this up
2: yeah i would assume so.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, breaking Quibi news, they've announced today the series hot off the mic from Levity Live, and um, I don't know what that means. So I feel like, Libby, the odds are high that you've got a, a good, good voicemail I waiting mean, for you. Quibi Green- Bad for us, good for Libby. Uh,
0: an hour ago, Quibi Greenlight's docuseries Sex Next Door, which explores the lives of <laughs> sex workers. What is Quibi? Sex Next Door. <laughs> like, honestly. Honestly, off the mic
2: joins the previously announced big, biggest little cook-off food competition show hosted by Andy Samberg.
0: So it's ev- it's everything L- all at once. Yep. But on a on a platform that no one has. Right. And That's they're it. going to have to download much like much like Mike Bloomberg's soon to be failed Democratic bid for the presidency. Uh, all the money that is spent on Quibi would have been better spent trying to feed or house the homeless, or fix many of the ills of this country. Yeah, I was going to say, you can throw a dart
1: at the board. like Hang up, hang a newspaper on the wall, throw a dart, you'll hit something that the money would have
0: been better spent on. At the end of all this, much like how much has Michael Bloomberg paid for every delegate he's going to win today, how much will Quibi have paid for every view? It's going to be a very high number.
2: Math is fun. I can't wait to be doing the math for the next couple months.
0: Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about TV, Emily Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Anne Donahue You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Fitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Agent Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. So leave a review, like Kate Travers. Another she, dedicated listener. I think she said good things. I would fucking hope so. <laughs>
2: I only give it four stars, though. Mm. See what happens. That's see,
0: my presence. Don't worry. What, she likes you guys. <laughs> see what happens when you leave a review. We mention your name at the end of the podcast.
2: <laughs> so you have to listen to the whole thing yeah, before to the whole you thing. hear it.
0: Uh, this is Ben, Libby, and Leo Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you.
2: You shouldn't let poets lie to you.
0: Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool <laughs> podcast.
2: <laughs>